we're going to proceed in our worship service this morning. And I've invited uh, Alex Flora. If you, we, I know we got kids in the room, right? Kids. Most of you. Yeah. All right. Most of you know, Mr. Alex already. Uh, Alex is a shepherd of our kids ministries around here. And so I asked him to come and just share a little bit with us about what's going on with Easter. I'm so glad you're here. This is a good looking shirt. Thank it's, you. It's got flowers on it. I like that. I saw your flowers. <laughs> knew I needed it too. <laughs> well um, done. Here's Alex, everybody. Hi, everybody. Darian had asked me to come share even about our theme, Unexpected. He had said, share a story, relate to this theme of Easter, this unexpected. And I thought this was an amazing theme. We've had some great themes here at this church, but one of the thoughts that I had of this unexpected theme is that that's something we can all relate to. It's something where we know if we were to think of our own lives, we would think of maybe the unexpected joys. Maybe the unexpected blessings, maybe the unexpected sorrows or griefs, the ways that our plans have worked, maybe the ways that our plans haven't worked. And as Darren asked me to share a story, there's one story in my life that stuck out. And it was when I was in sixth grade, and for some of the kids in the room, you have heard this story before, but you're going to hear it again, and hopefully it's great. But it was in sixth grade, and I used to walk to school uh, up in Washington with a friend named Zach. I thought he was a friend, but you never knew it was Zach. Because to give you the picture of what Zach was like, Zach was quiet. He never said more than a few words, uh, which made him the perfect friend for me. Because I could just talk to him all day long and he would never respond. It was perfect. But Zach was also a giant. And when I say a giant at sixth grade, I mean he was six feet tall. He outweighed me by about 200 pounds. And it couldn't have been more different. It was like the big and the toddler walking to school, you know? And so when we would walk to school, there was one day in particular where we were coming back from school, and there's snow on the ground, and we're just about to get to our street. In our street, you would be able to turn the corner. There would be my house a couple houses down. His house would be a few houses down after that. So you could see our backyard. And as we're walking down the street, I'm probably talking his ear off. And then out of nowhere, a snowball comes and hits me directly in the chest. And then it is like a scene out of the movie Elf where there are snowballs flying left and right and we're getting pelted and Zach drags me behind one of the snow embankments and we're excited. We're thinking that we are about to have a snowball fight in the neighborhood. It's going to be awesome. And as we peer over the snowbank to see who it is we're dealing with, our joy and excitement of what was to happen unexpectedly turned to terror because about 45 feet away were these infamous high school bullies. These were high schoolers who would yell at you. They would beat kids up. And so our happiness that we were thinking we were going to get into some trouble, now we are in real trouble because these bullies are throwing snowballs at us. And so Zach, who have never heard talk more than three sentences, says, we got to get out of here. We got to cut through the neighborhood. We got to find any way to avoid these guys. We are not dying today. And as he's saying this, I'm starting to get scared. And I had been making a snowball in preparation. He's like, don't engage. And I was like, absolutely, for sure, for sure, for sure. And then I launch a snowball. And I'm saying, let's run. And the snowball is going in like slow motion. And it connects with the bully directly in the nose. And it's just instant blood. And all we hear next is, your lives are over. And I thought, this has happened too many times to me, where I have gotten myself into a mess, and I'm thinking, I'm only sixth grade. I haven't even gotten past three feet tall. My life is over. And before I know it, as I'm watching these bullies sprint towards us, I am soaring through the air. Because Zach had picked me up and thrown me over the fence to safety. And he said, run, 
don't worry about it. Run. And so I'm running, probably like Ralphie in like the Christmas story because I got my snowsuit on. And I'm running and I hop my fence into my yard and I'm standing on this fence and I'm looking at these bullies. And I'm thinking Zach is about to get beat up because of me. Because he was like, we could run, we could escape it. And I just got us into a mess. And I'll never forget these bullies push Zach. He's kind of looking down at them because he's bigger than all of them. He doesn't move. Some things are said, and then the bullies go on their way. And I remember running out to the front yard to meet Zach. And I said, Zach, how did you get rid of those guys? Are they going to come for me later? Like, do I need to stay in my house for a long time? And he says, no, no. It's all good. I told him, you're with me. You're my family. I've got you covered. If they're going to mess with you, they're going to mess with me. He said, they won't be bothering us anymore. It was unexpected because Zach never said anything. We just walked to school, and I thought he was a neighbor. But to hear him say, no, no, you're my family. The mess that you caused, the trouble that you were about to get me in, Zach was willing to get beat up when it definitely should have been me for throwing the snowball. And when I think of this idea of the unexpected theme of Jesus' life, the unexpected ways in which he fulfilled the prophecies, the upside-down kingdom that he showed us, I think of the ways where Jesus looks at all of us in the mess and the sin that we've created, and he says, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. He calls us his family, his chosen, and his beloved. And whenever I think of the love that Jesus has for us, I always think of Zach throwing me over that fence and protecting me because that's exactly what we're celebrating this morning is that Jesus looked at all of us and said, you guys are stuck in this mess, but I love you still. And so I'm going to take your place on the cross and die so that we can be with him forever. And my hope is that as Darren comes back up here and keeps unpacking this story of Easter, that we would just know that we have a Savior who loves us more than we could ever imagine, and that the story he's writing is better than we could ever imagine. Thanks so much. Thanks, my friend. I love it. It is a, uh, it's a great privilege to get to serve on a team with guys like Mr. Alex, and knowing that uh, every week and midweek and throughout the day, he's blessing kids like mine and others, and uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to walk alongside a dude like that. It is true, uh, what he said, our, our theme this morning is unexpected, and as we look at the story of Jesus and the resurrection, I, I want you to think about Resurrection Sunday in, in a unique way for just a second with me, if you will. The, for us, uh, Easter Sunday is like our big celebration for Christians around the world, like this is a big momentous day, and rightly so. But I want you to think for a second, if you were one of the disciples who had walked with Jesus and talked with him, if you're one of the ones that had, you know, shared hummus and pita with him. I was going to say a sandwich, but I'm not sure if they ate sandwiches or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you were one of those who'd been walking with Jesus in one particular way, Easter Sunday was actually a lot like every other day. For us, it feels momentous, but for them in one particular category, Easter Sunday would have felt just like every other day that they'd been following him in this, in this one way. In the way that on Easter Sunday, once again, like he'd done every day they'd followed him, Jesus did the unexpected right? Every day they'd followed him, Jesus did something they didn't expect. In fact, it's interesting. I'll give you a little bit of a home. I know you weren't hoping for homework, but as you head to lunch later today, or as you're hanging out with family or sitting by the pool or whatever you're going to do later today, the sun's come out. You can sit by the pool. Uh, As you're thinking through Easter Sunday later, I would challenge you. I've been doing this over the last couple of weeks. I want you to think about every page of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Think about the stories you know about Jesus. One of the interesting things about the Lord Jesus is that from the beginning to the end, in our understanding of who he was and what he did, he seldom, if ever, did what people expected him to do. 
He was always a catalyst for the unexpected, right? He, uh, nobody expected the Messiah to be born. If we go to the Christmas story, nobody expected the Messiah to be born in a food trough, right? Where animals normally were eating. Nobody expected that shepherds would be the first ones to come and visit him as a baby. No one expected that the first ones to come and sacrificially lay down uh, worship before him would be pagan astrologers and magicians, right? No one expected that Jesus would be from Galilee, much less from Nazareth. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, you can hear on two different occasions, somebody goes, it can't be that guy because the Messiah is not going to come from Nazareth, right? Wouldn't come from Galilee. No prophets come from Galilee. No one expected him to come from where he came from. No one expected him to do the things that he did. It's interesting as we think about Jesus and the way in which he lived, uh, the self-righteous leaders expected that he would praise them and that he would join them. And instead, he confronted them and criticized them. No one expected that Jesus would love sinners and that he would dine with outsiders, that he would welcome women to be his followers and disciples, that he would draw children to himself. No one expected that Jesus would eat with the people no one else wanted to eat with, that he would heal them and love them. Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, he didn't expect that when he came to meet with Jesus, that Jesus would say, hey, all of your training and all of your reputation and all of your education and all of your, your, uh, your power, none of it matters at all. You're going to have to start over from the beginning and be born again, he tells Nicodemus. You think Nicodemus expected that that was going to be Jesus' comment to him? No. The Samaritan woman didn't expect Jesus to ask her for a drink. And he didn't expect her to know so much about who she was. The Pharisees expected Jesus to obey their rules, and he didn't. The disciples didn't expect Jesus to take a nap in the middle of a storm, right? The disciples never expected to have their master wash their feet or to encourage them to do the same. The disciples never expected that their rabbi, the one they were following, would be convicted of blasphemy and executed. That wasn't in their plan, right? On every page of the story of Jesus, he undoes the expectations of those who were watching, those who thought they would understand who the Messiah was or what he was about. He always brings the unexpected. In fact, there are several places in the Bible where Jesus walks through a crowd and the crowd kind of looks at each other and goes, who is this? And their opinions on him are divided. The reasons their opinions are divided on him is because he wasn't doing what any of them expected in particular ways, right? No one expected him to be convicted and to die. And certainly, as we read in Luke, no one expected that tomb to be, to be empty on Easter morning. If you have a Bible or you want to take the one in front of you or the, or the device in your pocket, if you want, in Luke chapter 24, we read a little bit of how unexpected this was. Luke 24 verse 1 says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about this. You know why they were perplexed? Because they didn't expect the tomb to be emptied. Because even though he had told them he would rise from the dead, they hadn't understood it or expected it. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. 
And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now as Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women who, uh, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. You know why it seemed idle to them and why they didn't believe it? Because once again, Jesus has done something different than they expected. It says in verse 12, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, no one expected Jesus to die. No one expected Jesus to walk out of that tomb, risen again. And what's more, no one during the time that they were walking with Jesus understood that in his resurrection, he would then also, by his grace, extend to each and every one of us that same resurrection life. You see, this whole story that we're celebrating today on Easter Sunday is is worth celebrating for us because you and I, apart from Christ, are dead and lost in our sin. And I don't want you to be offended by that, but I just want to explain to you the worldview of the Bible. The Bible says very clearly that all of us are broken, that we're all sinners, that we all fail to do the thing we were built to do. You and I, by design, were built to glorify God with the way we think, with the way we talk, with the way we act. Our thoughts, words, deeds, and attitudes are all supposed to bring honor to God. That's why we're alive. And yet we fail to do that. In failing to do that, the Bible says we're sinners. We're sinners, which just means falling short of God's glory. The problem with sin, though, is that it isn't just bad. It doesn't just hurt us. It also separates us from God because he's holy and perfect, because he's just. It renders a relationship with God impossible. And so when Jesus comes unexpectedly in the incarnation, in a food trough, welcomed by shepherds, worshipped by wise men, when Jesus comes, he comes with a very specific mission. And his mission is to restore the relationship between God and his creation. To restore the relationship between you and me and a God we can't know because of our sin. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life showing us how to glorify God in every thought and word and deed and attitude. And when he goes to the cross, he goes there not because he was tricked or not because he was taken by force. Jesus isn't caught unaware. No, unexpectedly, Jesus went to the cross. It was his destination. He went there to lay down his own life as a substitute, as an atoning sacrifice. He lays down his life and he dies having paid the penalty of our sin. But as we celebrated this morning and we'll continue to celebrate, he doesn't stay dead. No, three days later, as it says in Luke 24, his friends go to the tomb and his body's not there. Listen, what we're celebrating this morning is not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that he extends to us who were dead in our sin the opportunity to be raised from the dead as well. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, it says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead in order to pay the penalty for our sin and to extend to us resurrection life. Not for sale, not for trade. There's no bartering necessary. You don't earn it or deserve it. It's a gift of grace, he says 
Would you like to be made new? Would you like to be made whole? My resurrection life is for you. And he extends that to us. And all we do is put our faith in him, the Bible says. John 3.16 famously says, God loves the world so much that he gave the only son that he had, that anybody who believes in him won't perish, which is what we deserve, but instead would have eternal life. No, he lived an unexpected life. He died an unexpected death. He rose unexpectedly, and then he extends to us an unexpected resurrection life of our own. Everything about Jesus was unexpected. The way he came, the way he saved, the way he loved, the way he died, the way he lives. And it's no wonder. Isaiah 55 says, and this is God speaking of himself. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. It's funny how often we sort of think we understand Jesus. We sort of think we've got him figured out. We sort of think we can put him in a box. And yet his disciples on Easter Sunday were surprised because once again, he did something unexpected. I wanted to bring to your attention today that we all have expectations, don't we? Some of you have expectations of Easter, what you hoped this service would be or what you hope to do later, what you hope to eat at lunch or who you hope to be hanging out with after the, uh, after the celebration's done this morning. We certainly have expectations of God. We certainly have expectations of his church. We certainly have expectations of our world and of our lives. We live with expectations all the time. We have these expectations. But what the Bible shows us in the story of Jesus is that Jesus, if you pay attention to him, seldom seems concerned with meeting our expectations. He's not really worried about doing what you expect him to do. Instead, what we see Jesus prioritize is not necessarily meeting the expectations of people, but rather meeting their needs. He doesn't seem concerned about meeting their expectations, but he's very good at meeting their needs, even when they themselves have not figured out what those needs are. I remember uh, when my wife and I were newly married, we were living in an apartment in Arizona, and on one particular night, uh, we're sitting there watching TV on our little futon thing, and she says, hey, do you want some ice cream? And I said, look at me, I always want ice cream. What are you talking about? Of course I want ice cream. And she goes, I'm going to get us some. So she hops up, she goes into the kitchen and she's in this little, you know, we're just in this little apartment. She's in this little kitchen and she's in there scooping ice cream. And I remember having this kind of out of body experience, right? I thought, look at how amazing my life is, right? I married this incredible lady. We're living in like a little place, right? We've got this little life together. And sometimes without being prompted, just spontaneously, she just looks over at me and says, would you like ice cream? And then goes into the other room to get us some. Like, what could be better, right? This is, I have the life, right? This is the life. Well, a few minutes later, she comes out from the kitchen and she's got two bowls and two spoons and she hands me my bowl and I have to look over the edge down into the bottom of the bowl and at the bottom of the bowl, there are these two tiny little ice cream scoops in there. And I remember thinking she was playing a trick on me, you know? And so I said, oh, that's so cute. I mean, I don't even know how she made these tiny scoops. Maybe it's like a melon baller or something, right? teeny tiny little scoops. And I said, uh, that's really cute. Those are really cute. But can I get the, you know, can I get the rest? And she goes, what? And I said, you know, I, I mean, I want the rest of my ice cream. And she goes, that's the recommended serving size. <laughs> and I said, who in the history of mankind has ever paid attention to the recommended serving size? Like, what are we talking about here? Right. And she goes, Darren, we just got married. I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. She's like, I am never going to intentionally give you something that isn't good for you. And I said, well, then I'll serve my own ice cream from now on. (laughs) Literally, 
Now that's not a great response, but I want you to think about the picture for a second. In that moment, as a newly married guy, I made a decision that I did not want my beautiful new wife to serve me ice cream anymore. And you know why? It's not because I didn't love her or because I, I all of a sudden wanted to get up off my lazy butt. The reason why I made the decision to not let her serve me ice cream anymore is that I didn't want what was good for me. I wanted what was bad for me. And if she wasn't going to serve me what was good for me, then I wasn't going to let her serve me. Does that make sense? Each and every one of us come into this life and and we're living day in and day out with expectations. And sometimes we turn away from Jesus because he's not as concerned about our expectations or meeting our expectations than he is about satisfying our deepest needs. Sometimes when it comes to our deepest needs, we're unaware of those ourselves. It is possible for you to be living your life and not even aware that you need a savior. I think all of us have a fundamental understanding of our brokenness. But at the same time, you might not recognize that what you need is the God of the universe to die in your place. But I also think that for some of us who are unaware uh, of our need, it isn't so much necessarily an unawareness as rather we're painfully aware of what our deepest needs are. For some of us, we realize that our true need is maybe embarrassing or maybe it's shameful Maybe you have deep regrets that are held in the dark corners of your life. And maybe for you, you haven't looked to Jesus because you don't feel like the savior of the world would want to be near somebody like you or that he could ever forgive someone like you or that he would ever sit at a table with you because of the kind of brokenness maybe that you put on display. Maybe for you, the idea that the creator of the universe would call you daughter or call you son or welcome you into his family or walk alongside you or love you or share his shoes or his sandwiches with you feels foreign because you don't think you deserve it. The point of my message this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is that every moment on every page of the story of the life of Christ is about him doing what's unexpected. And I want you to feel it in your guts because for some of you, you don't expect that God could save you or love you. And yet he's shown us again and again and again that he is in the business of doing what you least expect. The love we're celebrating today is an unexpected love put on display by a savior who seldom, if ever, did what people expected. My point for us this morning is this. You and I should be looking for Jesus in unexpected places. You think you got him figured out? You think you know where he shows up? You think you know what he'll say? You think you know what he'll do? The disciples didn't, and they walked and talked with him for three years. It is highly unlikely that you have Jesus figured out this morning. It's more likely that he's going to surprise you. So maybe it's worth this Easter looking for Jesus in unexpected places. Maybe listening for his voice where you think he wouldn't or shouldn't speak in your life. Maybe waiting and watching for his presence where you think he would never show up. Maybe for you, it's about allowing yourself to feel his affection and let it exceed all your expectations. If the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that the heart of God will surprise us. Easter is a celebration and a reminder that our God is a God of the unexpected. And he wasn't just doing the unexpected on one Sunday morning, 2000 and, you know, 2000 and I was going to say 23 years. I don't want to fight with you about the timeline, right? He wasn't just doing the unexpected 2,000 years ago. He is a God of the unexpected then. He is a God of the unexpected today. Is it possible he wants to meet you in a place you don't think he'll come? Is it possible that he wants to say something to you that you don't think he would say? 
Is it possible that he is with you and loves you even though you yourself feel unlovable? It certainly is. The Bible, if it tells us anything, it tells us that Jesus is exactly the kind of savior who does the unexpected. And so if you think you've got him figured out, think again. Today, our celebration is a celebration of an unexpected God who wants to surprise you still. I don't know where you come from and I don't know what your life was like before you got here today, but I would guess that there are some of you in the room who've never put your faith in Christ. I've been following Jesus since I was 17. It's a long time. I I met Jesus uh, unexpectedly at a Christian camp I went to and the only reason I went there is because a cute girl invited me to go. It worked, right? Whatever. But my life was changed because Jesus showed up in that place and he changed my life. I don't know why you came into our worship service today and I don't know because I can't see inside your heart. I don't know your guts. I don't know whether you've ever trusted in Jesus to save you from your sin. But here's what I do know. His love is for you. His salvation is for you. And there is no human being in this room that is excluded from the free resurrection life that Jesus extends by his grace. If you're here within the sound of my voice today, or maybe you're watching us online from somewhere else and you've never put your faith in Christ, I invite you to cry out to Jesus right where you sit. It doesn't have to be an audible thing, but even in the quietness of your own heart, will you cry out to God and say, will you save me from my sin and myself? It's unexpected. I I didn't think I was worth saving. Maybe that's how you feel. Jesus, it says, when we put our faith in him, makes us new in that instant. We are made whole and new. We have resurrection life. No longer set to pay the penalty for our own sin because he has already accomplished that on our behalf. If you're here this morning and you never put your faith in Christ before, I invite you to put your faith in Christ right where you sit. And if you're in this room and you've put your faith in Christ, I invite you to reorganize your paradigms. Because for some of us who've been walking with Jesus since we were 17, maybe we've fallen into the trap of thinking we've learned how to predict what he will do and what he will say and where he will go and who he'll eat with. And if the Bible teaches us anything, if Easter teaches us anything, it's that Jesus is still going to places that nobody expects he would go. And he's rescuing people who never expected that they could be rescued. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a response to Easter that is our ability to look at the pattern you set of always doing something different than what people thought. That you aren't necessarily concerned with our expectations as much as you were concerned with our needs. And that you died and rose again, not because you wanted to meet some sort of goal that we had set for you, but because you knew better than we did what it would take to make our relationship with you whole again. Thank you for rescuing and saving us. Thank you for this unpredictable love. And thank you for being a God who does the unexpected then and a God who does the unexpected today. And we pray that for Jesus' glory and in his name. Amen.